You're listening to a very special edition of the Savvy Citizen Podcast. It has been three years since we started this project, and we are very grateful to each and every one of you for listening. Uh, Today's episode is a bit of a crossover episode. One of the things that has spawned out of Savvy Citizen um, is our own kind of homage to NPR's Tiny Desk series. It's called Savvy Sounds. It's on the Gaston County Government YouTube channel. And uh, usually what we do each month is we have an artist come into the studio, uh, play a little bit of their original music, and then we talk to them a little bit about their career. Uh, today is going to be a crossover episode. We have uh, Rowdy Rob Williford, who's originally from Gaston County, has seen fame in the country music space playing with Luke Combs, and just released his own album this year called Wild Card. So enjoy this interview with Rob, and we look forward to many more years of uh, producing and recording Savvy Citizen. Just let us know at any point during the interview if you need anything. Um, it is not live, so we'll just, and if you say something, you're like, I don't want people to know that. <laughs> right, yeah, let us know. That, yeah. and, but, uh, it's bound to happen. Well, good deal. Welcome back to another edition of the Savvy Sounds monthly video series, uh, take off of our uh, Savvy Citizen podcast. And we've got a really special guest in, you know, say in studio, but I mean, we're in a government office so it's you know it is what it's it is studio yeah, yeah yeah <laughs> we make do with what we got we got rob wilford here and uh rob is uh if you know anything about the local music scene in gaston county you've probably seen rob play but uh he's out doing big things now and we're glad to have him in thanks man glad to be here i'm a little nervous being in a government building yeah no we're not going to audit you or okay, anything that's, that's that's not great. our department yeah, yeah. Cool. <laughs> Um, so Rob, you started out playing, um, a lot of gigs here locally in, in Gaston County. You played, uh, Freeman's for a long time and, uh, had a band, what, Southbound 74? 74 Southbound. 74 it's okay. Southbound. My mom still calls it okay. Southbound 74. Yeah. Um, and that name came from 74, Highway 74 that does not run North and South. But, right. Right. Um, kind of runs all over the place, but yeah. Right. Yeah. True. Uh, yeah, man. I, my first gig was at, uh place called the Clay Cafe, which was off of New Hope Road. Okay. It was a coffee shop, and you could go in there and make pottery. And uh, that was a long time ago. But, yeah, man, I, I played a lot around here. Freeman's Pub, we played that all the time, man. Had a lot of good memories uh, made there. And, and really anywhere that would have us. Anywhere that we could go set up a microphone and a, and a speaker and plug in guitars and, and sound terrible, <laughs> we would play it. That's the thing, though. Like, you got to have time to kind of hone your craft, right? You know, at the time, I had no concept of that. I just loved playing music. It didn't care. I really didn't care if I did suck, to be honest. But, yeah, I've heard that you need uh, 10,000 hours to sort of master any craft. And I'm only at like 100. <laughs> uh, so fast forward a couple years, you've, you've bounced back and forth. You, you took your band to Nashville. You came back here. And then um, your big break was, was hooking up with Luke Combs, right? Yeah, that was a very sort of um, moment in time that was meant to be, in my humble opinion. But I moved to Nashville when I was 19. I went to the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill for a year. And as a Duke fan, I couldn't stomach it. Ooh. So I had to get the hell out of Chapel Hill. <laughs> no, nah, it's a great school. It's yeah. great. But that year at Carolina, I was just, I mean, I was in my dorm room the whole time. Sometimes not even going to class. Don't tell my mom that. Okay. But I was just playing guitar and like I was obsessed with it and I couldn't think about anything else. And I loved country music and I had been to CMA Fest in in Nashville when I was 17 and I just caught the bug there. And yeah, I 
dropped out of Carolina after, after freshman year and uh, we we got in a whatever a U-Haul and just drove out there and started playing on Broadway. I feel like Nashville is is like the music world's um, Hollywood, where it's basically like you know you get out there and it's like you just you catch that itch and it's hard to let it go. It is definitely full of energy of all kinds. Yeah, yeah. For for people that have followed Luke Combs's career, a lot of the big hits that he's had, you've had a hand in writing some of those. Um, some of the ones that have actually won Song of the Year from um, Country Music Association. Um, is there any one song that really sticks out to you that it's like, man, that uh, that's crazy that you know we're playing this in front of packed stadiums and I wrote this song? Mm-hmm. I just realized I didn't finish answering your other question. No, no, you're which, good. So the moment that Luke and I met was around 2013, about a decade ago. It's crazy to even say that. But I got a call from my – I went to uh, Gaston Christian High School. Okay. Uh, at the time, the campus was in Belmont, hmm. um, over by Belmont Abbey. And uh, I got a call from my high school science teacher when I, I moved back to Nashville in 2013. And kind I left out a lot of the gap there, but I moved to Nashville at 19, lived there three years. We packed up, moved back to Charlotte. I got back in school at UNC Charlotte. I was working – I worked at Best Buy a long time. I worked at the movie theater in Franklin Square. But at, in 2013, I was doing an internship with Carowinds. Okay. And uh, Which was a killer gig, man. If you're having a bad day, you just hop on the Intimidator. It's right. pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, but it was like in, uh, actually, again, very serendipitous, uh, August, the end of August of 2013, probably close to 10 years on the day today. Wow. I just had this overwhelming feeling of I hate my life and I want to do music. And like I was playing in bars and I was doing the cover songs and getting the free beer and getting the attention from the women. Mm-hmm. All all great things. Sure. And I'm not knocking that. Yeah, man. Um, but I just wasn't in any way fulfilled in the pursuit of doing music as like my full-time thing. Mm-hmm. There was something sort of hollow in my soul about like I'm kind of doing it but I'm kind of also doing what I think everybody else wants me to do. Yeah. And that was on a Monday night and I went to my buddy Jordan Paris's house and I sat out on the porch and played guitar and Tuesday morning and I went to work at Carowinds and I told him, Hey, at lunch, I want to get everybody in the conference room. I got something to tell you. And so the office was taking bets on whether I'd gotten engaged or gotten a woman pregnant. <laughs> They're setting the, uh, setting the bar either really high or really low. For right. You. I don't know. <laughs> So uh, we got in there, and I was like, yeah, I'm a, I decided I'm going to go back to Nashville. I want to be a songwriter. So I decided I'm going to move back. And everybody's like, oh, cool. That's great. And yeah. Like, nobody's pregnant. I'm like, but like right now. And I did not clock back in for my lunch break. And uh, it was cool. They were all really, like, supportive. They followed me out to the Tacoma. I got in it, and I hit the road. I had a couple trash bags, a mini fridge, a guitar, and that was it. And uh, I didn't even really know anybody. Because everybody that I had known, I either didn't have their number now or they were too busy to mess with me or people had moved away. Um, but I didn't tell anybody I moved, okay. um, which I should have probably told my mom. <laughs> How long did you wait to tell <laughs> Ten her? Ten days. Oh, my gosh. I wrote her a letter. How did she not kill you? It was, it was <laughs> tough, man. That was It was tough. But uh, I got out there and just kind of lived on couches and, and rented rooms on Craigslist, and we could do a whole podcast on those days. Goodness gracious. Which is 
terrifying yeah um to think about now uh but yeah man i just knew i had to be back out there and so about a year into that um you know i was playing open mics i was playing writers nights i was playing guitar on broadway for people anybody that could just that i could make a buck from playing guitar yeah to kind of sustain being able to be there and write songs um at that time and then i got a call from my high school science teacher and said uh, my son goes to app state his roommate wants to come down there and make a record can you help him and at this point i'm like the ego really takes over because it's like no i'm bona fide i'm out here in nashville tennessee i'm in music city i can't be bothered with these carolina boys i'm out here really doing it and right. uh i remember i thought about it for like a day and then i, I connected with him and he came uh to town with a guy named sam crabtree the following it's like a week after that conversation i met him and I, when we met um I, I told him, I was like, man, you have an incredible voice. Yeah. I said, but you kind of like a karaoke singer because mm-hmm. your songs are terrible. <laughs> Which looking back on that moment now, you know, and I used to tell it in radio interviews and stuff that like one of us thought the other was a karaoke singer and one of us thought the other was a, probably have to cut it. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And one of us was right. <laughs> it was not me. <laughs> but from that, like, I don't know if it like pushed him in a, in a good way to be like, oh, I'll show you. But mm. quickly after that, we both were huge and are huge fans of Eric Church, another North yeah. Carolina native. Yep. And that's what we quickly sort of bonded over, uh, talking about the chief, talking about church. And man, and from there, it was like the next week we wrote a song and then we wrote another song and then we became really close friends. And like, I tell people a lot that like want to move to Nashville or be a songwriter in any capacity, like you must take time to hone the craft. It is so true. And like Luke and I were writing pretty bad songs at the beginning, to be honest. Like it wasn't like we just jumped into figuring it out. But I remember in that year of us writing and and jumping in the Dodge Neon and playing bars and just sort of grinding through that phase of we're just doing cover songs. We're kind of writing Mm -hmm. in our, you know, apartments. It's very sort of amorphous of what is the, I remember him sort of la- latching onto that sound of every time he opened his mouth, he sounded like himself. Mm. And from there, it was exponentially faster and faster. His songs got better. His singing got better. Everything sort of, he found what the mythical, you got to find your sound. Right. Um, which I hear a lot of industry people think they've figured out the recipe to. And no one has. <laughs> no one has. But he, you know, he really just sort of dedicated that year or two to nothing but the pursuit of writing a better song. Mm. And I was just fortunate enough to be involved with somebody that was loyal enough to keep me around when people started hearing this music. Yeah. And I love the sort of, and and it is, it was fast for Luke, but it was not overnight. And there were years where we were, you know, touring playing 10 roofs or playing people's parties or whatever that like by the time that hurricane hit the radio and the sort of masses got to hear Luke Combs, there was an iceberg a mile deep, not only of a man, but of an artist that had songs that had, you know, something people resonated with. That's not just a product. And I think that's why his music is in my opinion, it cuts through the noise of maybe something that's a little more packaged or right. synthesized. 
Like Luke Combs is literally Luke Combs that I met in 2013. Right now, they're in Australia touring, and he's selling out places down there. So I think that's important. Um, and I was just, you know, it was a wild ride, and I was very blessed and fortunate to be along as the touring kind of increased. But like Luke and I still write songs. And those, those collaborators, those people are once in a lifetime. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Well, you, you've written, what, a couple songs on his latest album, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, you talked about how he was growing as an artist, but how were you developing as an artist along with him? Because it's like, obviously, yeah. you're, not, you're not stationary. You're growing as well and mm-hmm. sure. developing. I think along the way, I just, what I moved 10 years ago to do, I just kept falling more in love with learning and educating myself about the people that have come before me that have written music. And I would say the growth really happened in learning outside of country music and learning about places like Muscle Shoals, Alabama, and people like Rick Hall, and the idea of recording and producing what I already feel intuitively in a room when you get a lyric and melody that hits your soul and moves you emotionally. To take that from its point of inception and inspiration and carry it to a studio and capture it, there's there's a big divide there. And so I wanted to learn about all of that that goes on to the point where you put on the headphones and you hear Fleetwood Mac rumors mm-hmm. and you hear it in 2023 and you go, my God, it's still just as relevant. Like that, that's the kind of music I always wanted to make. I just feel like along the way with Luke, it, it gave me the opportunity to, uh, it, in many different ways, see the world, but it also gave me opportunities to get in rooms with other people that collaborators that sort of along the way, I would read their name in liner notes. And now, like, David Lee Murphy comes to my house and writes. And so it's like these sort of relationships and networks and the serendipity of meeting all these people along the way that has kind of brought me here. I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but I watched the the documentary that you guys put together on the making of Wild Card yeah, yeah. album. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that was really cool to watch um, is kind of you talked about Matchbox 20 being, like, your favorite band. Yeah. Um, you loved kind of that 90s pop punk Kind Love of it. rock sound. Love it. I'm unashamed. And you you brought in that Matchbox 20 influence personified mm-hmm. when you right. get wildcard. <laughs> yeah. So COVID happens. We come off the road in 2020. I get into bass fishing because I, dude, I grew up fishing on Lake Wiley. And okay. I just kind of rediscovered my love for fishing. And at the same time, I have all this newfound time, which is opportunity to either one, fish more, but two, write songs, yep. in which I did both of those. But three, I started thinking about, like, wouldn't it be cool to do a record? Because I was reading all about Muscle Shoals and about fame and about Aretha Franklin and Otis Redding and all these sort of legendary people that have recorded this music right down the road. And I'm like, I've always been a big believer in, like, if you can't dream it, then you can't manifest it. Mm-hmm. No matter, And no one should be able to limit, even if you think, your dream may make someone else uncomfortable. You should be able to sit there and go, well, no, I really want to do this. Matchbox 20 is my favorite band. The record they put out in 95 was the first time I really fell in love with just music. I listened to it over and over and over and over and over. And I just had an epiphany one day of like, man, I think the guitar player lives in Nashville. So I hit up uh, one of my publisher's connections that knew him and then through a series of it turns out we had the same attorney which is crazy because i was trying to put all these sort of pieces together to 
even just meet the guy. I just wanted a damn picture with him. Yeah. Like, you know, if I could just say hello, that'd be cool. And um, turns out we had the same attorney. And then we went and got lunch. And like an hour after lunch, we're at his uh, studio, and I'm jamming on the guitar he recorded 3 a.m. on. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I had one of those little moments of like, whoa, like <laughs> 17-year-old me would be freaking out right now. Yeah. You know? And so like we're in this moment, and we're jamming, and it was like we weren't playing anything. I was just making up stuff, and he was playing lead guitar to me making up stuff. And I'm like, hey, man, uh, you, do you want to produce a record with me? And I'm like, in the moment I said it, I go, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> but he's like, absolutely. Sure. Cool. And from there, man, I played him like 20 songs, everything from a song called Hey Mama that I wrote kind of about moving and not telling my mom that I moved to Nashville. I wrote that in 2014, mm. all the way up until a song that I would written like two days prior to meeting him. And I kind of just said, hey, man, be ruthless about like, which ones of these you like? Why do you like them? Why not? And so we spent about six months kind of doing that. And he'd come over to the house and we would make up arrangements or reinvent. If something wasn't working, wasn't working we'd reinvent it. Like that song, uh, I Ain't, on the record. Mm-hmm. That started completely different. And okay. he's like, it's boring. And I said, well, you know what's not boring? Motown. And so I put this little Motown move in it. And then suddenly it became a whole new reinvention of the song. We did that for about six months, and then we went down to uh, Fame and Muscle Shoals in December of 2021, and we just recorded these 11 songs, and I had the time of my life. It was it was truly life-changing. I don't say that as, like, to be dramatic or a cliche. It was at that point that I had to go back out on the road with Luke and be like, hey, man, I, I think it's time for me to come off the road. This is where my heart is being drawn to, hmm. um, just like I was being drawn to get in the Tacoma and leave Carowinds that day. It was sort of this, like... This is where I need to be. So uh, the record came out in April of this year. It was a very long experience, a lot of learning curves, a lot of failures. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm a big uh, Rick Rubin fan. Yeah. Um, Rick Rubin says the, the moment of success is when a creator wants people to hear the work. Mm-hmm. And so like I really, the once it was out, you know, I had so many people that thought I was like going and doing an artist career and I was going to go tour and this and that and, I mean, I even had some radio stations that were like, hey, we'll spin this. And I'm like, if you want to spin it, that's fine. But like, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to join the circus of country radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I was okay with that. It wasn't like a defiant thing. It was like a, no, I wanted to make this as a painter wants to like paint on canvas. And doesn't necessarily have to go out and go, look at this. <laughs> right. And I wanted the people that heard it to find their way to it very organically and i don't know that seems like the most outlaw thing you can do in nashville these days is make a country record that and then just not promote it all over the place at all and it's not a country record at all but um i am gonna make a country record here pretty soon it's very different from this one but yeah it was just like hey i want to go figure out how to make these songs come to life because i want to be a producer and i want to be a a songwriter and so it was like an exercise and Let's see if I can do this. And I'm really glad I did it. And uh, since then, I've uh, bought a spot down in Muscle Shoals and um, have been doing a lot of recording and writing down there. So it's it's a really cool chapter. It reminds me kind of as you're talking a little bit of almost like a Jason Isbell where he talks a lot about like trying to not be in that mold of like the contemporary you know where he's from? music. I don't actually. Muscle Shoals. 
Is he really? Okay. Yeah. He uh he did all those early albums there. Nice. And all all the music with the truckers was done okay. in fame. Yeah. Or a lot of it was done there. Yeah, he's a huge inspiration for me as like a creator, and I think it's no surprise that like as you hear me talk about it, that guy is who comes to mind. Yeah. Um, but he, there's a bunch of guys, and and I could again we could do a whole podcast, but like guys like Tyler Childers, yep. guys like Sturgill Simpson, um, and, and you're seeing it now with guys like Zach Bryan, yeah, on a on a huge commercial level, yeah. But like those are the sort of People call it folk. People call it Americana. I don't know, man. Go listen to Redheaded Stranger by Willie Nelson. It's storytelling. Yeah. In my opinion, like that is that that thing that I fell in love with about country music is storytelling. And so I think now we're in a real exciting time because of not only like technology and the access and things like streaming, but also like we're in a time where people are hungry for real authentic art in the music space. Yep. And and that's why like you know, we've seen it most recently with like a, a viral video, but like people now will go and they'll seek that out. And and it's not so much like, all right, let's figure out a way that we can package this and brand it and commercialize it. And, and you can still do that. It's fine. But what I'm drawn to is are, are the artists and the art and the music that is timeless. So you, you spent a lot of years, you know, working grinding with luke mm -hmm. you see a lot of success with him mm -hmm. um and then what february of this year is when you you pull the trigger on all right december of last year yeah okay yep did you have did you have family or friends or anybody that's going what are you doing oh certainly <laughs> for sure it's for like sure. you got it made what are, you, what, what are you doing yeah not not as like drastically of what are you doing but in ways of like well maybe take a break yeah or like uh you know maybe reconsider like because i december we were off they didn't go back on the road till april gotcha. so i got a lot of like well maybe just reconsider in april and i'm like no there's a real comfort and confidence and like a finality of when a decision is made in my heart i know it mm -hmm. and i don't shy away from it it's like when people get in a relationship and they know it's going nowhere and they just let it dissolve into nothingness it's like well that's just cowardice at avoiding yeah the inevitable Man, I knew it. I, I knew it was time, and it was, like, exciting to me. Now, there's been a ton of trepidation and fear and anxiety, and it, when you leap off a cliff with nothing in front of you, you get all that. Yeah. But, like, the decision I've never once regretted or had an ounce of second thought about. And I think that, like, I just knew I was in that place in life to do that. Had I done it in 2019? Maybe not. Yeah. Well, it seemed like just from the social media posts that, you know, Luke was super supportive of it. And, Extremely. I mean, it, he's even, he came and did a, a track with you on your new album, right? He did, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so you, you talked about this new album uh, not necessarily being country. I mean, it's it's got some country tones yeah, to some, it. There's parts of it that are a little folky, yeah. Um, but if you were trying to describe it to somebody that, that hadn't heard it, how, how would you describe your sound there and then maybe... What's your moving towards next? Mm. I don't know. I don't have a good description other than like it's 11 mini movies. Like mm. on Netflix, they call it a mini series. Yeah. It's 11 songs that I can, even when I go back and listen to it now, I can tell you exactly sort of the songs that inspired those 11 renderings yeah. of these songs. But it was like, I want to, it was like, I do have uh, ADD, but it was like, I want to play in that sandbox. That sandbox. I want to go to that playground. <laughs> I want to. 
use this paintbrush and this color, and it was I can hear the ADD all over it. Mm-hmm. There's no sort of cohesive sonic element that most people go, well, if you're going to make a record, you got to make it sound like it's the same person. Yeah. Sure, that's that's a concept, but maybe not. And so I just wanted to sort of break down every barrier or preconceived notion of what a record was. Deconstruct that. To me, that was a self-serving thing, and I don't expect anybody else to listen to it and get why I would do that in any sort of right mind. And and they're right. I'm not of right mind. <laughs> that, to me, is like a little bit Appalachian music, a little yeah. bit bluegrass, a little bit 90s rock. It's a little bit hip-hop. I love Mac Miller. Mm. I love Post Malone. Yeah. I love things that have musicality in the the rhythmic nature of lyric and melody across the board of any genre. I love Incubus. Um, I love um, Deftones. It's got all this sort of Nirvana. It's got all yeah. these sort of things we interwoven into it that I hear. The next record I'm going to do is going to be more of a full cohesive country-themed record of there's characters and I've been really obsessed with Bruce Springsteen lately and Nebraska. It's not a bad one to be obsessed with. Right. (laughs) So that my version of, you know, nobody, everybody goes, well, I want to make Nebraska. Me too. But like my version of what that is, is like going back to the thing I was talking about storytelling with, uh, you know, I just, my first concert was Reba when I was six. It was called Blockbuster Pavilion at the time. And Reba is a great example of catalog of country songs that have characters in, yeah. in a lot of the songs. So you, you mentioned Muscle Shoals. You went down to record your album in fame. So something clearly about that area got into your soul. The so, water. Yeah. The water. Yeah. And I'm a bit hippie. It is what it is. But I believe there is um, there's something to um, where that studio sits. Mm-hmm. It's off the Tennessee River, which goes splits off to what's called Shoals Creek, which is kind of where the house that I have down there is. But you've got Florence and Muscle Shoals separated by the Tennessee River. Tennessee runs into the Mississippi. You can get all the way up into Canada through yeah. that body of water or down into the Gulf and into the ocean. But that water, it was all Native American land. And, like, there's just something to – I mean, even if you don't believe all this mumbo-jumbo about – music and spirituality I'm talking about. Just look at the United States. The populated cities are always along a river or an ocean or a bay or water, sure. right? But to me, yeah, man, I I went and made the record, had this sort of moment of falling in love with the studio and the town that reminded me of growing up in Gastonia. Mm. Uh, it, when I walked into fame, the first thing I said was, it smells like my grandma's house. And I'd always felt this sort of air of pretense. Like, I love playing golf, but I I don't always like going in a country club. Yeah. There's like an air of, what are you doing in here? Yeah, different vibe. In Nashville, you're in a town with the best songwriters, musicians, producers in the world. And so I'd go in these really awesome studios, but there was always sort of that, like, insecurity creeping in of, got to make myself small and, like, I don't deserve to be in here. And I walked in fame, and it was like, yeah. What is who's got the fried chicken? Like, <laughs> this is great. This is I feel at home. And I everyone must find that spot if they want to be a creator. But to me, it was instantly recognizable, the energy of that place. And I think it's due in part to that studio is built upon an underground water table of that same sort of magic that floats in the Tennessee. 
that's interesting. It also runs through downtown Nashville in the Cumberland River. Okay. It's the same same river. It's all those connections. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you mentioned before we started recording and recording this on August 25th that literally today, um, a song that you wrote, it's a uh, Tim McGraw. Yeah, we recorded a song on that record, Wildcard, um, called Fool Me Again. Yeah. And today, Tim McGraw put that out on his record. That's awesome. Yeah, and he just crushed it. Like, I, it's an odd sort of thing to worry about, but like when you write a song and you hear somebody's going to record your song. Mm-hmm. There's one they've got to get it right. It may not even make the record. It may not even make the cut. Getting past the cutting floor in the studio that day, but like they got to record it good enough. And two, like you don't want them to sort of like not get it in the way that it moved you, which right. is a real thing. It does happen every day in Nashville. And so that one came out, and I remember hearing it, and I was like, "Oh, thank God, he murdered this. This is awesome." Well, yeah, you definitely see it sometimes. It's. Um... To remember who it was that wrote Cop Car. Is it Sam? Sam Hunt. Sam Hunt. Mm-hmm. And he plays the acoustic version of that, and you listen to that versus the one that Keith Urban does, and they're totally different songs. They're very different, yeah. Um, so it's like, you can see, like, going back to the guy that originally wrote it, it's like, ah, that's where he was going with this. Yeah. Like, totally. Yeah. And that's also the beauty of, like, everything I'm saying is very selfish and subjective that I want to like it. But, like, once you put the music and it's left the creator's hands, like, it, you don't get to, like Dolly, when she recorded I Will Always Love You, mm-hmm. had no, like Elvis wanted to cut that song. But right. like when Whitney Houston did, it gave it a whole new life in a way that when Chris Stapleton recorded Tennessee Whiskey, he changed the time signature. Yeah, George Jones, it was in 4-4, and then he puts it in 3-4, and he sold uh, 10 million copies. The only reason I know that is Beautiful Crazy was the sick, the fifth song to go diamond was... Tennessee Whiskey. Okay. And Beautiful Crazy was the next one. There's only been six in country music history. My point being, once it leaves that, you know, it's it's not up to me to go, well, you can't do it that way. Right. I think that's being a bit small-minded as a writer and a, and a creator to, if someone interprets your music and your song in a way that impacts them emotionally, great. It doesn't matter if you think it's good or not. Well, and you just saw that with Luke with uh, Fast Car. I mean... Gosh, I mean, he, he oh, crushed it. Yeah, and what's crazy is that song is having more commercial success now than it ever did on the charts and when she put it out. Yeah. Which I think, again, just speaks to the power of a song and sort of the timeless nature of that particular song. Because, yeah, I mean, that song's, what, 40 years old? And, yes. I mean, it's, it's, like you said, it's just as relevant today as it was when it was written. Agreed. Yep. So I know you're not big on the promotional side of things, but mm. if people want to find your music, if they want to connect with you online, kind of where's the best place to kind of to, to follow uh, yeah, Rob Williford? You know, I don't have a TikTok. Yeah. I got an, <laughs> only, I got an OnlyFans. <laughs> no, nah, I'm just kidding. I don't, I, don't, I, don't. I, don't, I don't want to pay money to see you take off clothes. I'm sorry, my friend. Yeah, well, it's, it's not that. It's, <laughs> no, um, I do have an Instagram, but you can find that record on anything like iTunes. You can pull it up on Spotify. Uh, YouTube, wherever, man. Just type in Wildcard Rob Williford, and uh, or robwilliford.com if if that's still up. I don't know. And the uh, the Instagram handle has has the nickname Rowdy in it. Nice. Rowdy Rob seventy four, which yeah. is kind of a tip of the hat to the seventy four Southbound thing. Okay. Yeah. And and the Rowdy nickname is that something from from early days or where did, it is, where did yeah. that come from? I wish I had a better story for you. Okay. Um, well, you can make up one. I wouldn't know the difference. When I was younger, I went to Parkwood Baptist Church, and we was at a 
some sort of youth group trip mm-hmm. playing laser tag. And one of my buddies put my name in as Rowdy Rob. Now, I grew into that yeah. later in life yeah. when I discovered things like rock and roll and yeah. whiskey. <laughs> but that that came from that moment of you just one day somebody called me Rowdy Rob. And just stuck. Yeah, stuck. Good deal. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you being in, taking the time, uh, catching us up on kind of everything that's going on, and wish you continue, continued success. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you all for letting me come by here. Absolutely. It's always good to come home. Yeah, no, we, we love having you back. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in to uh, another edition of Savvy Sounds. Uh, Rob Wilford, as he said, you can check him out, robwilford.com. Um, go get his music. Uh, his new album is called Wild Card, and you can get it kind of wherever you're getting your, uh, your music from, your Spotify, Apple Music, uh, anywhere. LimeWire. Like LimeWire. Napster. Bear share. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for watching.